Iteration with Drew and Leslie. Get the shit on. Iteration John. Shut the fuck up and listen. Iteration John. Iteration John. Iteration. Shit, motherfucker. Shut up and listen. Drew and Leslie. Iteration John. <laughs> Woo! We are back, people. Fucking excited. What's up, Mia? It's literally been two months. May literally. 10th was the last time we podcasted. This is the longest we've gone without podcasting. I think so. So thank you for sticking around. Yes, anybody listening. Thanks so much for sticking around if it's your first time joining us or if whatever you forgot over the last two months. This is the Interracial John Podcast. I'm your what? host, Leslie Mack, and I'm joined as always. I one very white guy. And you are very white indeed. And we are so happy to be back on the air after a unexpected uh long hiatus long hiatus uh, which we'll get into in a little bit but if this is your first time you can find us on itunes or stitcher radio just search interracial john that's j-a-w-n or go to our website interracialjohn.com or also on all of the uh various social media platforms twitter facebook instagram blah 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 again at interracial john we use hashtag the john j-a-w-n for our hashtag for the show if you're commenting on twitter or social media and we do love feedback we have a few to share with you today but if you want to leave us a review can leave a rev- us a review on itunes or stitcher uh you can also send us an email interracialjohn at gmail.com and you can also leave us a voicemail 657 genres that's 657 j-a-w-n-e-r-s and uh we'd love to hear from you and hear your feedback definitely you know what'd be nice what's that i think we've got like 54 or 58 reviews on itunes okay i'd like to hit 100 you'd like to hit 100 yeah well, that's a lofty goal i know Let's, uh, the rest of a year, maybe. Yeah, I guess so. But we didn't have any reviews to re- read, and I don't think we deserved any in the last two months. So <laughs> I have a, an agreement. That's that. okay. Uh, but we do have some other feedback, right? I think we do. Yeah. Well, what the f- are you saying to us? <laughs> <laughs> so we do have a voicemail. So let's play that feist. Hopefully, you'll be able to hear it. I'll adjust accordingly. Okay. Play. Hey there, John. It's Unruly Rev. How hey. you doing? Uh, so I really enjoyed, well, I always enjoy your uh, podcast, but thinking about this last one, the Unicorn Voice Leslie episode, uh, and looking at the uh, Boy Scouts of America changing their name to Scouts for the main part of their program, so I was really glad to hear you guys talking about it. It got me thinking about it a little bit more, and and just just one thing around that, uh, for some people, kind of the, some of the questions that, that Drew that you were also that you were asking was, you know, why? What's the purpose? Is it to try to, um, you know, take a bigger bigger market share from Girl Scouts? I, I'm not going to dispute any of those things because any of those things could be possible. But one thing, uh, whether intended by them or not, that I think that this change could offer that's positive is uh, something for folks that are uh, trans and gender non-bi- non-binary gender. Um, because just having the title of a of scout shifts uh, identity, shifts the ability for mm. people with various identities to be able to connect and 
feel that they have a place. Uh, Very, I feel I, that they're welcome mm-hmm. by not well holding hard and fast to, to the gender binary of Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts. Even if you open up Boy Scouts to girls, there's a, there's a title there. So, uh, and it's binary and those are really specific. So to be able to, to just call kids scouts mm-hmm. opens up a possibility for welcome. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that means that these organizations will actually be more welcoming <laughs> to trans kids or, or non-binary gender kids. I don't know if they will. I don't know if they won't. Individual groups, it, you know, I'm sure you have to look at the flavor of each group for that to see if they actually will be welcoming. But certainly just changing the title does at least open up a possibility for kids to maybe be able to see themselves uh, in those spots uh, that maybe they couldn't before. So that's what I got to say, and that's what I'm thinking around it. Uh, take it easy, and I look forward to the next episode. Love you guys. Bye. Oh, love you, Rev. Thanks. Yeah. I'm really Rev. That's a great point, and thanks for um, for calling in and, and bringing up that, that yeah, point, which they- is really a good idea as well. Um, uh, unintended then, or not, or maybe yeah. it was intended. You know, I, I, I definitely definitely would be more inclusive. You know, I'm, I'm very pessimistic. Yes, you are. and I would tend to think that it's more branding and less trying to be inclusive. But but Rev's right that uh, Scout avoids the deliberate binary, and that might be more uh, inviting to some folks. Certainly, I think it would be more inviting to to folks. But it hasn't the organization been historically anti LGBT? Like they didn't allow openly uh, gay scoutmasters and various other things. I don't know if that's still the case, but I know that they've had a less than glorious relationship with the LGBT community for some time. True. Anyway, but, but I love, I love them and that, that perspective. And hopefully we're going to podcast some point. uh, And there's another podcast that, that someone wanted me to be a guest on and I won't plug it because I haven't promised them that I would do it, but I was like both them and, uh, Rev, I was like, listen, I got a podcast with the wife first. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I got to get a John. I, I can't. It'd be blasphemous. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, we more? also have, no, that's the last voicemail, but we All do right. have a couple of emails. I'll read those now as well. The first one is from our Faithful 14 member, Hiroja. Hey, Hiroja. <laughs> um, and this is an old email. And so I'm sorry we didn't read it. We actually I had shows it, since yeah. then, but it looks like we missed it. But it says, hey, Drew and Leslie. So I know Leslie um, is a bit of a dumpster fire right now. And I thought I'd try to cheer you up or at least keep your mind off of things. Thank you for that. This is a question for both of you. As individuals that have been part of the restaurant industry and know how to cook, what changes have you made to menu items or dishes that you really, uh, that you know really doesn't go with the dish, but the change will make the items sell well? For example, I just came back from my favorite Mexican place and they are now putting dairy in the guacamole. I'm not talking about sour cream whip in the guac, uh, which also does not go in it, but, um, it is quite a bit. I'm talking about milk from a cow. Sigh. Sigh. Thanks. Have a great show. Long live tremors. Hiroja. <laughs> I was, Tremors is on our DVR right now. God bless you. It was Tremors. on like HBO. Yeah. So what would be your item that you doctored? It's a not traditional way, but is an improvement. Um, I don't know. You know, I use duck fat a lot to like saute and cook and brown things mm. Um, that call for like either butter or olive oil. And so I will use duck fat. So that's like a, a thing that definitely, A, like if you're a vegetarian, interjects uh meat-based product into a recipe off jump. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I really I mean, like. There are, I wouldn't say they're like, because what we what you normally do is we you, I think, 
I assume, because it appears to me, <laughs> you find a recipe that you like and you'll make it the way they say to make it. Because it's like, hey, this is the recipe. They say make it this way. And then the second time you're like, you know what? I, I thought this didn't come out right or I would have changed this in my mind. I would have done this longer, shorter, hotter, whatever. And then you make that change. And then like maybe the next time you tweak it a little bit more. And that's pretty common, like maybe two or three tweaks. And it's like Leslieified and and usually fucking delicious. Um, yeah, but most of those aren't me adding like random things. No. It's usually like I have access to better spices or I have different salt flavors I want to add in or I want to layer things in or add some different stuff. So I don't know if there's anything specific that I like just I fucking throw a fried egg on everything. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you do. That's I put a, a fried you brought egg that back from Argentina. Like I put a fried egg business. on pizza, on a burger. They put fried eggs on fries. On French fries is delicious. Mm-hmm. You know how good that is? Like a like a over easy egg, all goopy and a fucking big old. It's like a South American poutine. It's probably disgusting to look at me eat it, but it's delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like hash brown potatoes with eggs, but evening pub style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, thanks for that, um, Hiroja. We've got a couple more. One is from Hannah. Oh, our friend from Finland. Hey, Hannah. Um, I'm telling you, one of these days. We're going to pop Hannah, up. Hannah says, I days. read on Twitter that Drew has been in the hospital. I hope you're both getting better and finding time to re- for rest and renewal. I know it's cliche in America, but I'll pray for you anyway, Hannah. Um, we appreciate your prayers, Hannah. Thank you so much. And I'm sure that Drew's going to talk a little bit more about that. And then we have one last um, email from somebody named John who says... Hi, all y'all. My wife and I uh, formed an interracial marriage for 25 years and through adoptions, blended families and just old fashioned marriages. We have a grandchildren ranging from redheaded white to African continental black. I feel like this is going to go left. So we thought that your show might be really good for us. Deeply invested as we are in quote unquote the work. This is definitely going left. As you know, it really helps to have other people in the same boat as you for support and ideas. Oh, here it goes. Here's the left. Unfortunately, we found your show too shallow to be of value. This is in parentheses. Our monthly shallow? book club reads Tanahisi Coates, Eduardo Bonilla Silva, Michelle Alexander, and Ibram Kenti. But I was thinking that the younger kids might benefit by listening to a lighter genre. But the shits and fucks, which I guess you find cool, we find signs of poor vocabulary. We won't be your audience, but I hope that you do get hit a group that your style resonates with. Yes. My name is Classic with an I and a little dick hanging off the C that bends around and f the L out of the ASS. <laughs> it's a classy motherfucking show, goddammit. God damn you, John. Shallow my butthole. <laughs> oh my god, that he took the time to write that whole thing is hilarious to me. Well, shout out to you, John. I, I, I'm sure you're not listening, or maybe and you I'm, are. I honestly, like, <laughs> on some level, I'm like, I don't know how to feel like. It's like comical, I guess, is the response to putting us on the same level platform as Donnie C. Coates and Michelle well, Alexander. I think he's saying we're not on that level. So, of course, we're a fucking, <laughs> a fucking podcast with two fucking people. Speak for a- yourself. Just kidding. Um, hey, I, I, Leslie Mack is for real. You got a blue check and shit. But like, I'm <laughs> <laughs> just saying, like, Donnie C. and Michelle like write books and shit. And they're, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, that's all the feedback that we had for this week. <laughs> Thanks all for writing in, uh, including you, John, I guess. Um, now what the f*** are you saying to us? <laughs> really, John. Really, John. Really. What the fuck are you saying to us? Fuck, fuck off. Um, 
so I didn't have much. Well, I guess let's, let's, let's start with you kind of updating the peoples on why we were away for two months and kind of what's been going on with you. I think they'd be appreciative to just at least get a short version of, you know, what, what happened? What's going on? So, uh, I, I've had diverticulitis before, like diagnosed with like an MRI, I guess they do. Yeah. I think it's an MRI. Mm-hmm. Is that what they do? No, uh, CT. Is it CT? Mm-hmm. I don't know. They give you some contrast liquid that burns and makes you feel like you got to pee and then you go burn, 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 machine. And, See, this uh, right here is already too much detail. I said a quick <laughs> overview. So like details. I'll of- tell you, I had diverticulitis, but like confirmed through like medical processes. What does that have to do with anything? The confirmed you, you just muted your mic. I'm just trying to figure out what you, it being confirmed. You, you had surgery. Obviously it's fucking confirmed. No, I know, but so this is going, I've had it they, before. See, this right here, you're going too far already. They want to know the last two months. We don't need a three year history well, of your medical um, state. I've had, I've had issues before and sometimes I can just sort of like eat a, a liquid diet and then go away. This one didn't and, uh, it was really bad. Uh, like really, really bad. I was throwing up water, couldn't keep anything down. And uh, we recorded May 10th. I probably ended up in the hospital within about 10 days from there. Yeah. Like somewhere on the 20th, maybe yeah. 19th or 20th. Somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rub. The first time. The rub is that they again did a, a CT and diagnosed an abscess. And they kept saying that it was getting better. I was taking – they were giving me IV antibiotics, like heavy-duty antibiotics in the hospital for three days. And they'd send me home. And I'd be okay for – Maybe three, four days, two, three days. And then I was back in the hospital again. Same, just like uncontrollable pain and vomiting and can't keep anything down. So they're like, well, it's, it's still there, but it's getting better. We're going to try and send you home again. Came back a third time. And I'm just like, what the fuck? You got to like, this is crazy. I can't be coming out of the hospital like this. So they finally got me some, uh, I think heavier duty pain meds and some other. I can't remember what the last pill was that finally got me from vomiting. Do you remember what the name was? It was something magical, but there was Pro- some promethazine. I think that was it. Promethazine as yeah. uh, a powerful anti-nausea that give you like specifically after surgery. So that got me to the next week to actually get the surgery. And, uh, I, this is all like a blur to me because I don't know any of this shit. The doctor, the surgeon told all this to you. So this is like secondhand information. So chime in if I'm wrong, Leslie. Uh-huh. But so they did the surgery and it was a laparoscopic robotic assistic, uh, assisted surgery. There was a robot in there. Yeah, they can build cool. him better. So, uh, very minimally invasive and it's, it's been a much better recovery because of that. But so. I guess he got in there to do the surgery and was like, holy cow, this is much fucking worse than we thought. There yeah, was- his exact words were, damn. And I'm not even joking. That's what he said? That's literally what he said. Damn. damn. <laughs> God bless and it was like him. an extra like hour and a half long. Yeah, it was he- long for yeah. sure. So there was a second abscess that they didn't know about. And it was about a week away from rupturing into my like bladder, basically creating a fistula into my bladder. So like, I would have been getting like wicked bladder infection, having all kinds of like, it would have been a, a much more invasive surgery a week away from that shit. And my takeaway was like, fuck, they just kept trying to send me home. And I'm like, listen, this is not good. We got to do the surgery. And when I said I want to do the surgery, they were even being kind of pissy about that. You know, like it was, it was a lot. I had to really, both you and I had to significantly advocate for my health and well being to get 
to the surgery. And he's like, yeah, he must have been in excruciating pain. Yeah, fuck yeah. it was. Yeah, I mean, it was really harrowing. We went back to the hospital several times and uh, they admitted you each time because your pain was so high and the issues that you were having. The first time you were admitted, you were literally wasting. I mean, you lost like 40 pounds in three and a half weeks and it was really, really bad. Um, I think for me, just kind of, I went into just like beast mode because I just didn't know what was wrong with you and I didn't feel like anybody was giving your pain the attention that it needed because you have such a high threshold for pain so like when I see you doubled over like that may signal one thing to somebody that doesn't know you but to me as your wife like it signals something was really really wrong um and so I was like stalking these the the um his residence to like try and just get somebody to listen to us that last time we were in the hospital because it was just getting really frustrating but we've got a great surgeon and um really thankful for um you know him just listening to you and um getting in there and getting this operation done and as he you know he said to me after the surgery he just was like yeah like we needed to get this done it needed to be done and it was it was starting to encroach in areas that would be much more difficult to address and can um, i can i say shout out to the black nurse that was there the first time and maybe even the second or one of the the first or third time i was there i can't remember multiple times she was my nurse and she was amazing and terrific but the doctor we ended up using for our surgery my surgery and the only one that like listened to us and was like yeah we should do the surgery right away like he's like if that's if you're having this much pain you're having this surgery, we should just try to get it right away regardless of complications and he came in and consulted with us because that nurse advocated because you and i were like please no one's really listening to us like they're gonna discharge me like come on remember mm-hmm. because the first surgeon was a complete dick yes surgeons i think have a bit of an ego maybe but, mm-hmm. I, you know, for me, there was definitely, I haven't had in my life a time where my body's just failed me like this, where I just, I, yeah. I, I, I think I, that's the other part of it, right? There's like the physical thing where you have to, you know, be, be, you know, heal from the situation. And then there's the mental part of it where you're just like, wow, this is a pretty significant and serious health issue that came out of nowhere seemingly. And, um, it just makes you just take stock of things. I think, um, I know it has for me kind of realigned things and got me thinking differently about, um, you know, just the importance of, of, of being, present and not knowing what's going to be next and just uh you know also it was a good lesson and you know who you can count on and who you can't so there's that yeah like i said for me it was a new i uh having my body just break down like you said i lost 40 pounds yeah and that was just like i'm not trying to lose weight <laughs> i'm a big guy and it it you know that was where people were like are you okay like you look you don't look healthy and uh I, I was literally wasting away, you know, and it took a little bit and probably because I'm a dude and just my history and whatnot, but it took a bit for me to fully give up and just relinquish complete control and be like, okay, I'm in a hospital. This is now, you know, there's nothing else for me to do, but listen to what the doctor said. Yeah, I think you definitely were just kind of like, I think you wanted to have some semblance of control, but, you know, by the 
third visit to the hospital by ambulance where you couldn't even walk at some points. I think it just got to the point where you had to just be like, okay. You know, of course, lots of other things were going on. You know, we lost our dog right in the midst of all of this, which was really difficult. Um, And so so it just was a really hard, you know, two months of us trying to get these health issues cleared up to emotionally heal um, and get ourselves recalibrated. And we're all we were already coming off of a pretty difficult, um, you know, couple of months with everything going on with safety pin box and that betrayal and everything. But I think, you know, life goes on. People certainly have it worse off than we do. And, you know, some of that has to just be okay on some levels. So that's what I'll say about all of that. But I'm so glad that you're feeling better. I'm so glad that you are getting back to 100%. I wouldn't say that you're there yet, but certainly getting there. Um, And I just, you know, I'm just glad that we made the right decisions when we needed to and that... um, like I said, we found a, a doctor that was able to actually listen to you. And that we could do the things that we needed to do, you know. Absolutely. That we had money to do it. Yeah. And we had, you know, my mom was able to fly in and help and, um, you know, day. lots of other I know, things. I know she's listening. It was, it was hey, so, mom. It was so great having her. She was Yeah, you know, awesome. I, I had canceled almost all of my travel in june which is a pretty big month for me normally um just to be here and make sure that you were taken care of but this last trip that i had the end of june i just you know you really didn't want me to miss it it was uh, the uua's general assembly and i had a large project that i was um leading and i really was it was going to be hard to do from here and my mom flew out i didn't even see her actually she flew in the night that i left and she flew out the afternoon before i got back um so I didn't actually get to even lay eyes on her, but she came to be me for a week, which I wouldn't trust very many people to be, but she certainly uh, was more than up to the task. And so thank you so much. She went walking with me, made You're waffles. Yeah, she, she did And it was probably things. a bit boring. Like we watched some, a bunch of judge shows and shit. She loves judge shows. I know, but I, I feel like it definitely wasn't... Uh, like yeah. acting. And we had Dr. Miss Smooth Mustache here helping That's with right. the driving. That's right. The doctor was here too. But it wasn't exactly a, a fun week, me recuperating from surgery. But we're now uh, almost, almost four weeks, weeks yeah. from the actual surgery yeah. and maybe uh, three and, a, and just over three weeks from being discharged from the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I started running great. again. You're running again. I think that things are definitely, you know, we're adding everything back into your diet. I think we took yeah. our time and I think uh, things are going well. So, you know, I gained a bunch of weight real quick. Yeah. Well, your body was starving for <laughs> calories. So that's not a surprise. Uh, but your face is looking better. You were looking pretty gaunt for a while there. So De- it definitely was the, hardest thing i've ever had to go through mm-hmm. the, the worst i've i've ever felt for the longest like i, I broke my back you know, like i broke my back and it wasn't nearly that bad yeah you know i had more codeine but uh still wasn't this bad pain wise uh and for as long and it just i don't know there's something about it's now been i guess almost four weeks or more since i've thrown up and that to me is like it sounds crazy but i just this this abscess it just was literally causing me to vomit constantly everything everything. too much water throw up and like when i say too much water i sat down with like a fucking tablespoon and like every six minutes would take a tablespoon of water and 40 minutes later it was pretty brutal 
So I'm glad I'm out. Glad I feel better. Thank you, everyone that that had uh, well wishes on the book of face and Twitters and yes. uh, Hannah that, that wrote in and thank you for the prayers and everything. And it did help. I really uh, was buoyed by hearing from a lot of folks. Yeah, for sure. It was nice. To, and you said, it, you know, who you can count on, certainly. Um, but uh, I hadn't realized there were that many people that cared that much. About uh-huh. me. And that, that meant a lot. That felt good. Yeah. Your birthday. Oh, yeah. My birthday was last week. Yeah. It was, pretty, it was really low key, but good. It was. It was a week ago today. Uh, a week ago tomorrow, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was great. I, you know, my birthday is a great day to have a birthday. My birthday is July fourth, then, so everybody always has off, and so we just had a couple friends over. I baked some. I baked a cake. We had some regular birthday cake. We ate a bunch. Um, I had a great time. We went to the movies. We yeah. had a. We did a purge marathon. Uh, with one of my good friends and then we saw the newest purge and then we went and saw the double header of Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp which we'll get into a little bit later but both were really good um you said you made a cake but you put your fucking foot up <laughs> that lemon pound cake's ass <laughs> oh my god and I feel bad one of our friends uh Dr. Takia had requested <laughs> she didn't request here's she the thing that she cake. didn't i'm shady she didn't request that at all so for for dr amin's birthday i said oh she was coming over i was gonna make dinner cool you know what kind of cake do you want she goes oh i want a duncan hines lemon supreme and i was like oh just you want me to make a lemon cake she goes no i want the box duncan hines like from the mix and it hurt my heart y- I, y- I respect the shit out of it i don't i don't i bake from scratch solely like i never use box anything and so i was really like oh like drew can even tell you when we were in the grocery store i was like hurting my heart to pick up the stupid box so anyways i did make that for her birthday but then since she was coming over for mine i made this lemon pound cake as a little like here you could have had this so let me make this lemon is that what you did you shaded it with lemon i thought you i thought you asked her what she wanted no 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 she said whatever she i didn't ask her anything about the cake i asked her if there was anything she wanted on the menu which she also thought was weird because it was my birthday but i mean i just feel like if i'm having people over i should know what they want that's how i am you like to you like to host but yeah the cake was a little bit of shade but it was really good fuck we usually you do normally a, a an plain, almond pound an cake. Almond pound I cake. do an almond pound cake, and maybe sure. sometimes a almond or vanilla sort of glaze, mm-hmm. and then we throw some macerated strawberries on top and some mm. whipped cream, and it's delicious. Like mm. homemade everything, homemade whipped cream. I don't know if y'all like know somebody that makes homemade whipped cream, but that shit's the bomb. If, yeah, if you got my wife. But so this pound cake, I just ate straight plain. I didn't put nothing on it, and. She asked if she could come over like later, like Wednesday, and I'm like, "There ain't gonna be no cake left." Cake didn't make it. Ain't no cake. Didn't make it. Went fast. I would just slice here, slice there, chomp chewy, chomp chomp. Mm-hmm. It was fucking good. So that's it. I'm I'm back. I'm feeling better. Yeah, I'm, you I'm, are. I'm working, and I I should give you know I'm, I don't know if they bother listening. And we half an hour in, they probably dropped out now if they were. Ooh. But uh, <laughs> shout out to my employer and. Uh, what are you yeah. shouting him out for? The, even though uh, I know you aren't like thrilled with the level of communication. You mean the lack of communication? They, you mean the no communication? There was some. That, uh, there, there was none. At the, at the end. The, you mean after I said something? The, Is that what you mean? Listen. Listen. you. I, I didn't work for a solid month. I took a month where I was in the hospital and having surgery. And it was very... Uh, Nice to not have to worry about work. Mm-hmm. Not to have to worry about like an hourly or a, mm-hmm. you know, 
I know you, you're not you're not thrilled, but mm. mm-hmm. the paychecks came. <laughs> yeah, they did. Good for them. Um, good for you, man. No more good for them. Good for us. I mean, good for them because you're still working for them. Yeah, I'm they're gra- lucky. I'm, gra- I'm grateful for that, mm-hmm. and they're lucky. Both, they are. both of those things can exist at the same time. And I time. can I can have my personal way of weighing those two those two truths, and you can have yours. Anyways, um, I don't have much to add except for that. Um, uh, I think I launched my Patreon since the last time we did a a, a, a podcast. I think probably. I'm so, pretty sure. Sounds about right. So uh, I launched a Patreon, so you can um, support me financially at uh, patreon.com backslash Leslie Mac Lifestyle. I'll put a link on the show notes. Um, it's been fun, but challenging for me because all of the other things we just mentioned the last two months, but I'm finally hitting my rhythm. I had a great piece that they got early access to um, uh, uh, focus on the Cassandra myth and black women. And I'm actually going to be posting another one this week about swimming in black and white. We've had so many of these incidents of yeah. white people confronting black folks and black families and black children the, at the, the, beaches in, and this one in Georgia was and, she's in her fucking pool with a, a card that gets her access to the pool it's absurd. that wasn't in Georgia that was in Wilmington North oh, Carolina oh, no, I was here okay by the way not too far from here um but yeah there's I'm been a lot of them so anyway so I'm doing a, a piece kind of not just about these recent incidents and actually not specifically about them but kind of spurred by them uh so if you want to become a patron there's levels from uh, a dollar all the way up to I think 20 is the highest one you can do um but uh yeah check it out Come see. There's a little video you can play to learn some more about what's going to be happening. When I do get to my first uh, goal, I will be doing a Leslie Mack specific podcast separate from this one. Um, so yeah, you can help me get to that goal. I also want to give a shout out to a new initiative by my sister Ronnie Dean Byrne, Dr. Ronnie Dean Byrne called hashtag free. That's F-R-E-A-D black child. I'll put the link on the show notes as well. But Ronnie is um, has a wish list on Amazon that you can purchase a whole list of books that she put together for pre-K to 12 years old um, that she'll be donating or not donating, distributing, excuse me, to black children in the Houston area all summer long. Um, the list is amazing. And even if you are only going to buy something for Ronnie, but you're looking for suggestions, it's another great way to take a look at some books that um, allow black and brown children to see themselves in the things that they read. Um, so check that out. Uh, I think that's all I have. Well, and if you're uh, dense like me, that's a portmanteau of free and read. Yeah. So F read, uh, freed, black freed. child. I said freed. That's I know. F-R-E-A-D. That's Even when you I spelled said. it out, it took me a half a second. I, I had know. to see it in writing. I'm like, oh, read. Yeah, because the books will give them wings. Get it? I do get it. Get now. it, get it, get it. Okay. Anyways, let's go. That's your cue. I know. Stretch on my leg. That was bad timing. You have to stretch your leg right when you need it. The news is coming on. The news is Come on. <laughs> I told you she had running. I got to stretch. We got to get her to re-record that. She's like 30 years old now. Not really, but. Certainly isn't quite as young. She's a big girl now. Anyways, uh, I think you're up first. Oh, goodness. I didn't realize that was me. Bill Gates spent hundreds of millions to improve teaching. New report says it was a total bust. Wow, Bill. Hundreds of millions, huh? Major new report concludes that. Oh, my God. Five hundred and seventy-five million. That's half a B, yo. Jeez, half a billion um, project, partly underwritten by the Gates Foundation, that used student test scores to evaluate teachers, failed to achieve its goals of improving student achievement. As in, it didn't work. 
put this in the they were warned but didn't listen category. The six-year project began in 2009 when the foundation gave millions of dollars to three public school districts, Hillsborough County in Florida, the first to start the work, Memphis and Pittsburgh. The district supplied matching funds for charter... That might be a problem right there. Mm. Management organizations also were involved. Alliance College Ready Public Schools, Aspire Public Schools, Green Dot Public Schools, and a partnership to uplift community schools. You know, whenever it sounds like that, partnership to uplift community schools, yeah. you know, What's it's trash. It's just total Garbage. trash. Y'all like are fucking... Anyway, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation pumped nearly $215 million into the project while the partnering school organizations supplied their own money for a total cost of $575. Oh, so the... The half a bill was, was a waste, but half of that was the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation. The aim was to create teacher evaluation systems that depended on student standardized test scores and observations by peer evaluators. Don't we already have that? Don't we though? Don't they teach the teach of the test? These systems, oh, it was conjectured could identify the teachers who are most effective in improving student academic performance. This, in turn, would help school leaders staff classrooms with the most effective teachers and would lead more low-income minority students to have the best teachers, or so the thinking went. Schools also agreed to boost professional development for teachers, give bonuses to educators evaluated as effective, and change the recruitment process. A 500-page report titled Improving Teacher Effectiveness Final Report conducted by the RAND Corp. Okay. Uh, says... Overall, the initiative did not achieve its stated goal for students, particularly low-income minority students. Particularly. By the end of 2014-15, student outcomes were not dramatically better than outcomes in similar sites that did not participate in the Intense Partnership Initiative. Furthermore, in the sites where these analyses could be conducted, we did not find improvement in the effectiveness of newly hired teachers relative to experienced teachers. We found very few instances of improvement in the effectiveness of the teaching force overall. We found no evidence that low-income minority students had greater access than non-LIM students mm. to effective teaching. And we found no increase in the retention of effective teachers, although we did find declines in the retention of ineffective teachers in most sites. So basically the like reporting and the like monitoring made shitty teachers like, wait, stay? Oh my God. I read that backwards. Yeah. Effective teachers had no better retention and shitty teachers stayed longer. Yep. Way to go. They didn't say well, exactly why it didn't work, but... It's, uh, that's funny because I have a second story here about Ooh. teaching uh, based in Pennsylvania, all haunt, stomping grounds, which is 96% of Pennsylvania's teachers are white. That's a problem. Ha-ha. Currently, um, our country has watched white students flee public schools while the enrollment of students of color swells. The loss of black teachers and the stagnation of black students' achievement levels have been largely ignored. Black student and black teacher ratios are entrenched examples of inequity. Black communities and other communities of color have always asserted that representation matters, that mental health, academic performance, and feeling of safety and belongingness of students of color strongly correlates with who leads their classrooms and work. Um, and schools, John Hopkins University pointed out in their research that black students had a 40% less, less chance of dropping out if they have just one black teacher during their elementary one. school years. Just one. Knowing the risk that dropping out of high school places on our youth, any politician that isn't making this one of their flagship priorities reveals they're unfit to lead. Some of the data from the Research for Actions report 
which is titled Patching the Leaky Pipeline, Recruiting and Retaining Teachers of Color in Pennsylvania. says that Pennsylvania's overall population has been diversifying its teaching staff as not. Nationally, 18% of teachers are persons of color compared to only 4% of teachers in Pennsylvania. Moreover, the imbalance between teacher and student demographics in Pennsylvania is among the most extreme in the nation. 96% of Pennsylvania's teachers are white. 96 but that's not only detrimental to students of color, white students only seeing white teachers is also extremely problematic. Any school or district with his, with this glaring lack of diversity should stop spouting the idea that they are preparing for their students for a global life or economy. There's more that it goes on. The report continues and the problem appears to be worsening. According to PDE, African-American enrollment in post-secondary education majors has decreased by 60% since 1996. And the number of African-American graduates in education has decreased by 71% since 2000. The problem is particularly stark for black and Latino men. The state's college and universities graduate only 29 that's not a percent. That's a number. 29 African-American male and 20 Latino male teachers in 2014 out of a total 8,552 teacher participation wait wait program minute, completers. 29 out of how many? 8,000 what? 552. Yeah, that's not even 1%. That's a third of a percent. That's 0.0033%, yo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to change the ninety six percent? Literally, How, you got you got four percent in the workforce, and you're matriculating mm-hmm. three one third of a percent. Yeah, that is astounding. Yeah, and when we talk 29, about twenty nine, I twenty nine for over the the whole felt, state, let me the entire just say state, this. the entire the, state. The, the thing about this though is that this is not a new issue. It's just getting. It's just becoming more of a hyper issue because the student body is browning quote unquote I don't even like that phrasing but whatever is becoming more diverse the thing is I'll just speak for myself I didn't go to a public high school so I'll take my high school experience out of the mix but from pre-kindergarten through junior high school so eighth grade I didn't have a single black teacher I had one black librarian I think who like was a homeroom teacher for part of a year or something, but nobody that actually taught me. And I, including my high school years, never had a single black male teacher. So listen, I, I went through. I didn't have a black teacher until <sighs> college. I, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I'll have to really think hard. I don't think I had a black teacher till college. I think most people are, are not a black woman or a black or male. a black man. Yeah. And then in college, it was like, one class and it was probably in the humanities, a social work class, you know, I can't remember specifically. And even then it might've been a woman of color more than a black woman mm, specifically. Right. But shit, the entire graduate program was white, mostly white male. Yeah. So anyways, so there's that. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this, I'm going to read this, but it was, this could have been in the, like, you should have just called mom uh, yeah, category that's true. That's true. because we've been known forever that black folk, I get screwed when it comes to hailing a taxi. Of course. Like you stand on the corner much, much longer and long, cabs drive. Long time past you, past you, past you, past you. Yeah. It's not a joke. It's been like I know empirically. It's not. Uh, no, I'm just letting our readers know or listeners know. It's like studies have shown it. It's not a new UCLA study that was conducted on uh, 18 students taking over 1,700 trips found that uh, black riders waited 52% longer than white 
for their uh, rides. Uh, and then uh, I think the other specific one to Lyft and Uber was that uh, if there was no face, they didn't see the name once the trip was accepted. Uh, they canceled on black riders 6% of the time compared to 3% for Asian Hispanic and 2% for white. So 300% more, three times more likely to have a trip canceled uh, if you're black. All righty then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Uber and Lyft. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess it's better than taxis. It is, but it's still like shady. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can't have a fake ass profile. You couldn't. You couldn't like ride in whiteface. <laughs> like yeah. you couldn't have like my picture and like John whatever, and then show up in black. Right? They don't allow that. They do not. Yeah. Well, what was that? Oh, that was me trying to see if this video is this painting. Uh, okay. I thought you were gonna play that girl talking about her fucking. No, I'm not. So I could have killed you. I might play that later, though. You might come back to that when I do some music later. <laughs> uh, at the Worcester Art Museum, new signs tell visitors which early American subjects benefited from slavery. Interesting. I'm going to play. So is this like a museum doing the like. Let's listen. Museum. This painting by John Singleton Copley of Lucretia Chandler is just full of that idealization of an individual uh, and putting sort of her best foot forward uh, with the textiles and the jewelry. Uh, but her father owned two enslaved peoples, Sylvia and Worcester. And in his will, Worcester was given to one of his daughters. So I'm going to pause because I'm going to read this sign that's actually next to this painting. So there's a sign that says the the things about the painting, like, you know, that are I guess art noted. Uh, but then it also says, uh, Lucretia's father, uh, Chandler's father, Judge John Chandler II, held two slaves whom he left to family members at his death. To his widow, he left my Negro Sylvia and to one of his daughters, my Negro boy Worcester, uh, who asked, who he asked be treated with humanity and tenderness and at a little distance from his mother as, as may be well, as may well be. That is so another copley of John Boers, and he owned an enslaved person, Cato, and we tend to forget sometimes that the institution of slavery was legal in Massachusetts until 1783. So John Boers, a northerner, owned an enslaved person. These labels then are drawing attention to this omission of a very tragic history of violence and oppression and you know the institution of slavery provided numerous families with considerable wealth both in the north and south and even northerners who did not own slaves participated in the institution of slavery whether they were through a a merchant sort of textile uh, industry or so one of these says uh, Rebecca Orney's father was the wealthy Salem merchant Timothy, Timothy Orney who owned more than 50 vessels that sailed to the West Indies in Europe carrying fish, uh, cloth, wine, rum, brandy, grain, molasses, and slaves. Imported things like tobacco or sugar. One did not have to own an enslaved person to participate and to benefit from the institution of slavery. So just, like, just yeah. like just like now, one doesn't have to be an openly bigoted person that uses the N word to still participate in upholding systems of supremacy. White well, folk, interesting for sure. Know? And it was funny because um, one of the things I, I I saw that I had tagged you because um, 
Brown Blaze, uh, Ashley had been had asked on Facebook for white folks to yeah. share about like how they had saved all of their things and uh, pr- basically how how in their families did they preserve history, their f- familial history. Correct. Um, and I when she put it up, I tagged you and then I was texting with her and I was like, you know, you're going to get some really detailed messages from white people. And so we started kind of having a conversation about that. And I was, I was saying um, to them that, you know, two things is that white folks love to talk about themselves. And I feel like, especially liberal white people, like in this time, a year of our Lord, okay, 2018, they have been in a mode of like, why didn't you take up less space? So anytime you give them the opportunity, oh yeah, the, it's like it's the fucking floodgates hey, hey, white opened. people, I want to know. I want to yeah. know. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is this very detached way in which a lot of them kind of spew out their familial history. And it's interesting because they seem to have a disconnect from lots of things. So can I talk about your family a little bit? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Don't say my name. No, I'm just saying. Your family um, has been here uh, in the America since the 1600s. Y'all have traced- A, a branch. Yes, yes. A, a branch. Um, and y'all have traced back various lines and have like letters from the Civil War and like all of these documentations of things. And there's, um, I, I was, I was talking about how within three messages to her post was somebody who's, who is descended from people that were on the Mayflower, like three, three people. The first three. And I said, well, you know, there's this thing that white people are able to do is to not like acknowledge the realities of their generational wealth because the present day reality of their financial circumstance would belie, right? Um, uh, an extreme wealth privilege that may have existed in previous generations. But here's the thing about generational wealth and how it works is that when you concentrate it at such a early stage in the history of a, of a family, that resonates pretty much in perpetuity forever. You know, when your mother has things that she's, that have been in your family for four generations, pieces of furniture, what that says to me is that that means that your family has owned a place to put these things and preserve them and keep them well for generations in perpetuity, right? Um, so it's interesting to hear them. This museum makes me think of that because a lot of times I find that history that white people will share their, their familiar history and not really think about what those truths say underneath the like glossing of like, oh, well, they came in this, that they lived in this place and then they moved to that. Like there's a lot more than just the story, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I wrote to their post something about a, a few different things. But that, you know, like you said, one of our family lineages really goes back to the, you know, 1600s. And uh, they were prominent. They owned a mill that's now like part of a national historic registry of sites. And uh, there's like Wikipedia articles about the mill. The thing I think about that too is like a mill at that that stage in this country. Center of a town. Not just center Center of a town. I'm talking about center of wealth of a town and the ability to – like the concentration of wealth just because there was so little of it then – there, there's a. It's like, of course, it's it, going to reverberate it, through it, every branch it, at at some level. If you're watching Queen Sugar, the play that the, one of the main characters is making is a mill, yeah, and and trying to get people to come to your mill and what that means financially and politically and other, you know, it's a it's a position in a in a community. 
even today, right? So definitely back then. And it's like I said, it's historic. It was a, a private home that sold for like four or six million dollars, maybe some nine or ten years ago. So you can't, yep. let, you can no longer go on and look at it and shit. No. But when it was on, uh, for sale, yeah. I went to like the real estate listing and photos, like a Sotheby's type deal. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it was outrageous. Well, anyways, I was thinking about this museum kind of being a living witness to not telling history and that, and that, you know, non-complete way. And so it's interesting to see this Worcester, yeah. it's in Massachusetts. And wasn't that, art museum. correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't that a, a bunch of different actions black folk took with museums? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that action called? Um, black, I don't remember actually. I can't either, and I apologize. But the action specifically was doing this, was going into museums, uh, in particular, like, you know, uh, exhibits that are, you know, natural history, anthropology, this, that, the other thing, and, and detailing specifically how and why this might have been framed by racist ideology, going to pieces that were stolen and, and saying how and where they were taken, and, you know, talking about colonization and, and imperialization of uh, different nations, rather than look at this cool piece of fucking art. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like getting people to think differently uh, about museums, and it sounds like Worcester took the took the cue. If you find it, we should shout them out because yeah, I feel like this is. To remember, I what feel like it this was. is a direct descendant of that action to some degree. Let's see here. Da, 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 da. Was it Blackout Tour? I think that's what it was. Maybe Blackout Tour. And that was a tour of a museum you could take with yeah, extra notes. Yeah, you basically like, right. yeah, that's what it was. Blackout tour, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is, a, this is a direct descendant of that, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Most definitely. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I think that that's definitely, um, I just thought it was interesting. And I wonder, I think there's been a lot of responses in the museum uh, area of things to talk about like this question of how do you continue to display the things that you think are important to display, but not ignore the problematic, uh, you know, aspects of displaying it. So I think, yeah, I think it's an interesting approach and I hope more museums will think not necessarily do this exact thing, but just to think about it a little bit deeper. Yeah. I forget there was a, and it's been maybe a couple of years, and I said anthropology, but there was a, an, a series of exhibits. And it might have been in Chicago for many years, or somewhere like the natural, the like the Natural History Museum in, in Washington D.C. But it had a series of like I want to say not skulls, but like busts of various people from around the world. And it was like, I forget how and why, but it was super racist or framed in, in sort of racist ideology, you know, might have done like exaggerated things and just was sort of like relatively inappropriate, but it was on display for, you know, like 60 years, right? Like right. It, it went from like 1920, like total, like you can see it being inappropriate in 1920. And they had it up to like 19, you know, 2000 and whatever. And then they, they took it down or maybe like 90s and they took it down and they hid it away and they, Pull it back out, but with like more information about why it's inappropriate and what has changed and mm-hmm. why. And so, so I, I do think there are, you know, museums that want to think differently with that lens that they have or that uh, platform they have. That's good. And mm-hmm. you keep giving me these other ones, like you could have just called mom. The Trump effect new study connects white American intolerance and support for authoritarianism. 
Research suggests when intolerant white people fear democracy, may benefit marginalized people, they abandon their commitment to democracy. So when they fear democracy will benefit marginalized folks, they abandon their commitment to it. It's like, oh, this is benefiting y'all? Fucking burn it down. <laughs> like... Jesus. That's not surprising at all. Not at all. Uh, since the founding of the United States, politicians and pundits have warned that partisanship is a danger to democracy. George Washington and his fellow address worried that political parties or factions could allow cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men to rise to power and subvert democracy. More recently, politi- political observers are concerned that increasing political polarization on the left and right makes compromise impossible and leads to the destruction of democratic norms and institutions. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I, I don't want to say polarization on the left and the right because you're right. The left is polarized because the right's a piece of pile of crap that fucking like, you know, they're not playing by any standard rules or norms. They're literally just tearing shit up, lying to our faces, burning shit down. They don't give a fuck. Mm. Uh, so it's, I, I don't, I don't, I, I take umbrage with this like radical left sort of, you know, Marxist whatever left, but it's like, only because y'all are fucking horrible people. Mm-hmm. Like, there is no... Y'all are complaining about our civility when, like, you're killing folks. But anyway, a uh, new study, however, suggests the main threat to our democracy may not be hardening of political ideology, but rather the hardening of one particular political ideology. <clears throat> political science, Stephen V. Miller at Clemson and Nicholas T. Davis of Texas A&M have released a working paper titled White Outgroup Intolerance and Declining Support for American Democracy, hmm. including the destruction of the fake news you know, press, whatever. <laughs> uh, this study finds a correlation between white American intolerance and a support for authoritarian rule. In other words, when intolerant white people fear democracy will benefit marginalized people, they abandon their commitment to democracy. Uh, used information from World Value Survey, Research Project, blah, 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 range of beliefs and values. Based on surveys in the United States, authors found that white people who did not want to have immigrants or people of different races living next door to them were more likely to be supportive for authoritarianism. For instance, people who said they did not want to live next to an immigrant or to people of another race were more supportive of the idea of military rule or of a strongman type leader who would ignore legislator and election results. Jesus Christ. That's one hell of a correlation. It's not like a correlation between like, you know, is sympathetic to this cause or that cause. But it's like, I don't want nobody living next to me of a different race. And I don't mind a fucking authoritarian that disrects laws and elections. (laughs) Uh, This is data from 95 to 11 before Trump's run for president. Of course. What you think? That's what sowed the seeds for this bullshit. Yeah. Miller and Davis' paper quotes alt-right neo-fascist leader Richard Spencer, who wrote in 2013, We need an ethnostate so that our people can come home again. We must give up the false dreams of equality and democracy. Ethnic cleansing is impossible as long as marginalized people have enough votes to stop it. But this roadblock disappears if you get rid of democracy. Spencer understands that white rule in the current era essentially requires totalitarianism. Mm. It requires totalitarianism. (laughs) (laughs) Not surprising, but... God damn. Yeah, definitely not surprising at all. Wow. Y'all are getting some benefit? Nope. No, no. Tear it down. Tear it down. All right. You got one more? What is this? Uh, let's skip that one because I actually looked at it and didn't like it. So. <laughs> Never mind. When the shirt jump will come for you. Tell me what you're gonna do. 
this one, there's been a lot of these. Uh, so many. Yes, all cops. And there's just, we, we have a litany of options when it comes to yes, all cops. But, uh, so this is a cop that, uh, pulled over her, his daughter's black boyfriend, mm. uh, in some sort of like, I'm going to show you, like, I'm the daddy. Let me see if I can play the video. No, I'm going to actually get rid of that sound. <laughs> Hopefully, if if you heard that and it irritates you, that's our uh, lawn, lawn being mowed by our neighbor. But if uh, you hear, like, a nice little pause, that means I edited that out. <laughs> and if you don't, then you heard it. Tough. Is it still not playing? What the F, man? There you, there you go. go. There you go. He's racing up after this kid. Lights flashing. Like that alone's already triggering as fuck. It's very triggering. As a black male driver getting pulled over by the police. Comes out, he's got his hand on his hips by the gun. Walks to the other side. Goes to open the door. Like literally tried the handle. You can get out. Again, opens the door. You're going to jail. Get out. My car. We'll make shit up as we go. Mm -mm. We'll make shit up as we go. Any guns, knives, weed on you? What's that? Get smart. Probably can do something to you even more. One twenty-one and one twenty-four. I think I'm playing with you. Have a seat. Twenty-five Overland. Thirty-four Ashland. I tell you, get out of the car. Did I tell you, get out of the car. There's three other people in the car. He pulled over. Your dad know my my daughter's in your house? Yeah. Or is your ma there? My daughter's in your house. What's that got to do with anything? Why is that your police duty? Uh, I'm going to stop it because it goes on and on. But he basically threatened to, to, as you heard, jail the kid, make shit up. There was the mother of one of the young women in the car uh, was there and he wanted to come in and search the house. And she's like, uh, at first she was like, maybe. But then she's like, no, you need a search warrant. This is like absurd. What the heck? And he's like, well, I'm going to give your daughter a $300 ticket for not wearing her seatbelt. What? Yeah. Like, just goes on threatening people and shit, abusing his office and his his power like nobody's business. He ultimately got fired uh, from his job in Ohio. But Surprise. Fucking cops, man. They're just always so willing to – like, that. that's the thing I say a lot is that they don't think their job is to enforce the law, but that they are the law. Yeah. And when they think that they're the law, they, they just – Whatever goes is whatever goes. And that most often is the case. True. When, when I've had, I don't know, in my youth to now, maybe 20 plus inter- interactions with cops and not a one of them has it ever gone in any way other than what they dictated. It's true. <laughs> there was zero I said or did that would impact anything at all in any of those scenarios. 
from from the first to the last one, it was like whatever this cop says is exactly what's going to happen. Facts. Mm. Oh, there's a new segment. You know, this uh, segment, there's probably a bajillion. There's so many right now. There's so many. I can't even get into all of them. I just want to point two out. I'll just say these as like data points. Yeah. The old white couple that called the cops on the black kid mowing the lawn because he went over like too far into their lawn. Remember that? Yeah. They called the cops again. I heard. And it turns out they have personally called the police something like 60 numbered times in the last like few years or whatever yeah. and the response is well they always tell us if we feel uncomfortable we should just call 911 not to confront who's the they the police the police tell them if they feel uncomfortable to call 911 not to confront these people that's what the, that's what they said the police told them then the other data point was and i want to say it was was it brooklyn it might have been seattle or somewhere out west but i thought it was brooklyn um, in one particular zip code, a neighborhood that's been gentrified, they've had over 3,000 calls to 911 about, you know, nuisance. Nuisance. Yeah. yeah. Basically, they think of it as just like, you know, the complaint line. Like, oh, let me just. Yeah. So this this one, uh, I haven't heard this. Yeah. So this one, I think I wanted to call attention to it because it actually talks about um it is a wild black and this is playing dominoes wild black, but also about how gentrification um, criminalizes people in their own neighborhoods just by the presence of whiteness. Um, so the title uh, it is from BuzzFeed and it's they played dominoes outside their apartment for decades. Then white people moved in and police started showing up. Ramon Hernandez has been sitting in a fold-up chair on his Harlem block every summer for decades. One evening, the 105-year-old had an evening dominoes game along going along with a couple of his neighbors as music played out of a nearby parked car. It's a tradition in the historically Latino neighborhood that has been largely undisturbed for decades. That is until, quote, the cops started coming about two years ago, says Edward uh, T- Teneo, 42, one of the guys who plays dominoes with Hernandez. The increased police presence, quote, makes me feel bad. I've been living here for more than 40 years says hernandez through his granddaughter who translated for him he likes to sit outside to get some fresh air what's changed hmm i wonder he's 105 man a buzzfeed news data analysis shows that there's been a dramatic increase in 311 quality of life complaints on the block starting in 2015 the majority about noise the uptick coincides with the neighborhood's gentrification with more white people moving in and homes getting more expensive and while not every 311 call results in a visit from the cops mm mm-hmm uh, officers from the local precincts do not respond when they're not handling, do respond when they're not handling emergencies. None of the interactions between police and the residents on this Harlem block have gone viral, like Permit Patty, who called police, um, you know, about the whole illegal, yeah, whatever. 
and the one that was detained in that's because they smart enough to fucking hide in their brownstones but they do have something in common these viral incidents on a national scale and what's happening locally on 136th street show how people are quick to call authorities for harmless behavior by minorities the resulting interactions can result in anything from a comic change to potential arrest shit it can result in death let's be clear um these types of incidents which have been going on for ages are today exacerbated by how polarized people have become especially as their president whips up racial tensions and many people tend to consume media that re forces their own worldview uh between 2015 and 2017 the 311 hotline and app received about 3,000 quality of life complaints for hernandez's block a massive increase over the previous three years when there were only and i'm gonna say this out loud again 130 complaints that was the data point i was giving you 3,000 in three years versus 130 listen white people are a fucking menace i'm gonna be that, really that honest is, that about is it. that is like that's not just an increase. That is a that's a that's a viral consumptive I don't know what that is. A hundred and something to three thousand. Yeah. What the fuck? With the calls came the police. The three eleven data shows the police responded to complaints on that block on six hundred and twenty three different days from twenty fifteen to two thousand seventeen. That's six hundred out of almost more than half of the days during that three year stretch. By comparison, police responded to these types of complaints on just one hundred and three days between two thousand twelve and two thousand fourteen. And the 103 days resulted in 129 complaints. Mm-hmm. This 630 some odd days resulted in 3,000 complaints. Yep. More than a thousand of the 3,000 complaints reference a particular address in the middle of the block, which is near where the little folding table in Domino's is set up. The map visualizes the number of complaints per address received from 2015 to 2017 with the height of the bar representing the number of complaints. It's very concentrated. It. I'll share this link, obviously. That poor guy, man. A dozen long-term the Latino residents, the majority of whom have lived on the block for decades, told BuzzFeed News that when the police parked their patrol wagon on the block, they usually observe the situation or tell residents to break up their gatherings. Uh, one 40-year-old Dominican resident who didn't want to be uh, um, identified said he felt harassed by the police. And Chio Ledesma, a 43-year-old correctional officer in Hernandez's grandson, said, it's a headache when the cops come and tell you to tone it down when you're not doing anything. We laugh loud. That's who we are, says Hortensia Mata, who <laughs> lived on the block for 30 years. We have a lot of new people moving here who come with new rules. So anyways, I'll leave this. People can read the rest of it. I just wanted to call about those few things because it was pretty significant to think about Um, measuring the change in home home value and education. BuzzFeed identified that 125 um, census tracts that gentrify, 330 census tracts that don't gentrify, and 1,600 about that were too wealthy in 2000 to qualify for gentrification. The complaints were higher in gentrified tracks than others. The median number of unique complaints, 55 per thousand in the areas that were gentrified versus 46 per thousand when they weren't gentrified and 38 for the ones that didn't qualify for gentrification. And the percentages of white population in gentrified tracks increased by roughly six points while it went down everywhere else. Of course. Anyways, I'm just gonna, like I said, y'all can read more about this, but it's been a fucking, it's, it's not even August yet, and it's already been a summer of this bullshit, and honestly, I just, whatever. Let's move on to the next subject. Oh, crap it, damn it. What happened? I had it turned down, I fucked it up. White people. Oh, I'm I rusty. Bullied in school, I can't wait till I'm a cop so I can bully you. White people. Hey. 
people. Yeah. So what's this one? What is it today? So today I want to talk about a phenomenon that I've noticed of late um, about this letter. That, well, first of all, y'all already probably know about um, the situation that happened with um, Auntie Maxine, Representative Maxine Waters, um, making a, a pretty germane statement, pretty simple statement that she agrees with any form of civil disobedience, including confronting political um, members, both members of this administration and your elected officials in public. If you see them and ask them these questions, because they motherfucking work for you. Now, your president was upset about this and lots of other people were too. But of course, because solidarity is only for white women, one of the many groups of people that came to, came to uh, the rescue, quote unquote, of people like Sarah Huckabee Sanders and what Mitch McConnell and whoever else is getting booed out of wherever the fuck they are and they deserve to get booed out of wherever they are, um, was one Nancy Pelosi and, and the Democrats. So they've been, you know, all these white women coming, oh, you shouldn't do it. It's not civility so important, blah, 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 blah. So a bunch of white women wrote a call-in letter to Representative Pelosi. Uh, it starts with, Dear Representative Pelosi, we are writing to you today to ask you to do better. We, like you, are white women who care deeply about the direction in which our country is headed and who believe that inaction in the face of oppression is unacceptable. Because we share those goals, we hope and expect that you will do the work to understand why we are so deeply disappointed and angry about your recent statements regarding your colleague, Representative Maxine Waters. We urge you to consider how you can better use your power to support Representative Waters and the struggle for liberation for all Americans. When you attack a black woman for speaking out about injustice and when you call for, quote, civility in the face of blatant racism, you invoke a long history of white supremacist power. Writing black women's words off as divisive and chastising them for raising the alarm on unjust behavior is not merely condescending. It echoes racist tropes that have been used for centuries to dehumanize black people and support the structures that maintain discrimination. White women have been culpable throughout history for acting or just as shamefully not acting in ways that support white supremacy. Suffragist and first woman Senator Rebecca Ann Latimer felt and exemplified this ugly history when she used race as a tool to rally reluctant white women to the cause of women's suffrage, saying, I do not want to see a Negro man walk to the polls and vote on who should handle my tax money while I myself cannot vote at all. To our great discredit, white women continue to act far too often in ways that support white supremacy, even when it is to our detriment. Time and time again, we have seen women of color show up to the polls to support progressive politics, while white women cling to the, reg cling to the regressive and often racist pol politics and politicians who long for yesteryear. But of course, racism and sexism are inextricably and intertwined, even in the America of 2018, a place where the perceived fragility of white women is still weaponized and deployed in order to initiate and justify racialized violence. This must stop and you can help lead that charge. But when you chide Representative Waters for bravely and passionately speaking up for the most marginalized, you are on the wrong side of history. Why should Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Kirsten Nielsen Get to walk through a ceaselessly accommodating world unchallenged by the public, never being forced to grapple with their daily complicity in what will be what is already being judged as a particularly dark moment in the history of our country, that there are white women backing racist, xenophobic policies, and to ask your colleague to act appropriately at a time like this only serves to sustain white supremacy. Should I go on? 
How, how much longer? It's is got there? two more paragraphs. Keep going. Then. The concept of respect is culturally mediated. There is no single objective standard. It is only through the lens of white supremacy that civil disobedience, which by its very name utilizes civility as a strategy for social change, or for that matter, any disobedience, no matter how polite, is converted into uncivil behavior. It is why the simple act of quietly sitting at a lunch counter can was seen as explosively disruptive by those good white people who just wanted to have a peaceful meal, uninterrupted by the inconvenient and uncomfortable truth that they were perpetuating oppression and injustice by enforcing and befitting, benefiting from segregation. Indeed, change in this country has often only come after what people of privilege have historically deemed uncivil behavior, taken to the streets, boycotts, the occupational public spaces, the refusal to remain polite in the face of both institutionalized and impersonal bigotry. There is a broad chasm between discomfort and death, a chasm that white folks seem incapable of seeing and which people of color cannot avoid. Sarah Sanders was asked politely to leave a restaurant. In contrast, Representative Waters has received ever escalating threats, some so serious that have led her to cancel public appearances. Do we need to spell out the horrific and deeply undemocratic implications of a black congresswoman who cannot organize her constituents without fearing for her life? This is what we create when we pull out calls for civility and chastise marginalized people for speaking up. We make it clear where our loyalties lie. We sincerely hope that you take a moment and learn from this, that you offer an apology to Representative Waters, and that in the future, you should you stand shoulder to shoulder with her as we work together to fix what is cl so clearly broken in this country. White supremacy is wrapped on the roots and branches of our story, and it's up to us to remove it. So they've got like 3,700 signatories or something like this, white women that have signed on to this letter. Which is very interesting to me. Like, I, you have it in the the white people category, which is usually like, fuck, what the fuck, man? Why are we? Being no, such I know this is interesting. So, this, so this, this, am I wrong? But it doesn't seem like fuck. The letter, the letter's fine. So then, this permit patty situation happened, and I'm gonna play this one because it's got some sound here. Dear Allison, and all. I'm gonna turn it over. I got you. I'm writing you because I am you, and I'm worried about us. I'm confounded that 53% of us voted for a pussy grabber endorsed by the Ku Klux Klan. 45 was the preferred candidate of white women in every age group except millennials. You can hide all you want. The whole world gonna see you, boo. I'm profoundly disturbed, but not surprised, by the spate of white college-educated women calling the police on people of color for absurd reasons. Says a letter to white women. My name is Karen Fleshman, Some and I'm the founder value. of Racy Conversations. Our mission is to inspire the first anti-racist generation in America. So she wrote this open letter to to um, permit Patty. And so I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about these white women and these open letters? And I actually don't think open letters are just good anyways, but independent of that, I'm, I'm curious to hear. I mean, one, listen, it's, it's long been my and your and everyone else that, that does any of this kind of works contention that it's up to white people to dismantle supremacy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not the job of black folk. And in particular, Calling in our, our, our people. Yeah. And I don't know if calling in Peppermint Patty, like that, that seems to it's be like. It's Permit Patty, but oh, okay. Whatever. Peppermint <laughs> Patty. Patty. I think calling in Permit Patty's like, I, and I don't know, I, we may have had this conversation on the podcast. Maybe I haven't. I don't know, but like there's just a investment in time, resources, effort, and then return on that investment. Mm. And you know, like maybe I, I think 
the shaming permit Patty has already had will make her think twice about calling the cops. And, you know, perhaps there's other work one could do with permit Patty to move her further. I don't think they're going to move her into like accountable action for black liberation where she's shifting power and resources in her life. And to me, I feel like working with the, the people that are more with the shits, uh, has a, a better return on investment, but that's just me. <clears throat> but I, I'm all for white people doing this work, you know, white nonsense roundup, all that shit's like, yeah, please. Yeah, but I feel like it's interesting because, um, let me see how. Are, I though, should... are, are they going to make it into like a fucking organization where that's where it? I'm going with this? She did. She did say we strive to be the first. I feel like there's a thing here. It's, it's a trend, right? And when I see white women having a trend, I always know the grift is near. So, anyways. I'm just putting it on people's radar now so that in September when these bitches start launching shit and they asking for people to get money, money and yeah. da 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 you're saying this is a pantsuit nation in the making? I don't I don't know if it is and I'm not saying that it is. I just think it's an interesting like I, I, I call it a grift because I think it's interesting in the context of like all these white women that signed this letter they, they clearly took time to write the letter everything else and I'm always just like okay and then what? Like, there's always this, like, there's never a, 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 a mirror action when they take these more symbolic ones. Cause that's the thing about it is all of these open, like an open letter is always going to be symbolic, right? You're not actually pushing anything specific. You're just saying what you want to say and you're hoping the person that you're addressing it to will read it because it's open and everybody can read it and they can take things from it too. Now, when you're a marginalized person, getting just getting your voice out is something. But look, you're a white woman. But people listen to you all the time. So I guess I'm just kind of like, I, I don't know if this is like, I can be, you can be hopeful and be like, okay, this is, this is the first step. My whole thing is, look here, we in 2018. Y'all just taking a first step now. That's why I find it sus- suspect. Well, and I, like and y'all took all this time to write an open letter to Nancy Pelosi. She been trashed for years. I, I, I mentioned white nonsense roundup and I, and I won't say that they're, you know, I don't know them personally, but from what I can see, they got like some exposure, some juice, and then they just do the work. You know, like I'm not, you don't see like a white nonsense roundup, like selling mugs and t-shirts and a big old Facebook group where they're trying to like make money. They just have people that like go around on the social media, like, nope, you're wrong. This is why. You know, they round, they round up nonsense. Mm. And, you know, I'm, and th- I'm, that's a role that I think is needed and people should be doing that shit. But again, like, I think the ROI is like, you know, come November, I'll have a conversation with my actual family and push them to have conversations with their family that I know don't align with us ideologically. And just be like, you know, challenge them. I have the, you know, I, I'm going to have the most leverage with somebody that's close to me. And getting them to have leverage if someone's close to them versus an open letter to permit Patty. Mm. But yeah. And also I just feel like everything that both that video and the letter said, like they didn't even attribute it to anybody. And I know they didn't learn it on their own. So I feel like there's a level of like, but which black woman actually taught you yeah, this they, shit? Yeah, they got some buzzwords in there. And if you're going to be using their the, the lessons that they've given to you, then the end of that letter should be a specific call to action, not just a general one like, oh, you should stand next to her. It should be very specific of what you're demanding, what the consequences of those demands would or would not be. And 
also for everybody else reading this is what you should be doing i just feel like it never goes to that point with white people it's always to them it's always enough to either learn the thing or say the thing and that's that's where they leave things that's interesting the workshop we did at ga two two summers ago mm-hmm. uh, me and rev uh was was specifically that it was like these are eight action points you can actually do to start being a better person and yeah and I mean, we did that at the panel that i did at ga um the ferguson to palestine and standing rock um panel we we the the panelists it was all uh, women of color we were like yeah we should make like a 10 things you can do and we did we just went round robin yeah, and yeah. came up with 10 things right on the spot i mean not really on the spot we talked about it ahead of time but 10 things that folks could do and have takeaways from it because i i just feel like there's never enough tangible things for people to actually do and the world right now can be really overwhelming it could seem like there's no um positive uh influence that you could have in the world because shit is fucking disgustingly horrible and it is it's gross this fucking uh supreme court justice pick is disgusting um everything is gross right now literally sports are disgusting um education is gross the the uh state of our healthcare is dis is is in disarray the economy is horrible gas prices are high look i could go on and on and on about all the things that are terrible in the world but also there's a thing that we have to do if we are people with moral standing is to position ourselves whenever we can in a way that allows us to do something and i'm not saying everything's going to be great because you did something but i'm just saying if you're not doing something what what what's your purpose out here in the world i don't know i'm just asking for a friend i spend yeah. most of my days thinking of things that i can do and some of them i can't do some of them i can some of them i don't I get mean, around this, to this is a so it's interesting you're you're hypothesis of the direction that this could go you know i don't i don't disavow you of that uh historical reality mm. um but again that's like you know when i say like i'm trying to think what i want to say but there's someone i i interact with and know and engage with you know online to some degree and they were writing and it was a lot of sort of like outrage and I'm outraged and you should be too. And I, I felt it was like an awkward conversation to have with them. But ultimately they were like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing things a little bit differently. I'm doing this and that. But, you know, maybe someone will get to this org and make sure that you like that happened with the women's march. Some, some people got involved, uh, and helped steer that away from complete disaster. Well, did they? Did they? <laughs> I, I, said, well, I said, well, cause I don't want to, I know. Some of them personally, but well, I think hmm. it's very um, one. I mean, you're being generous and giving benefit of the doubt where none has been um, earned, and secondarily, I haven't said any benefit of the doubt for them. I said, well, maybe you said some- I don't know, maybe I'm like oh, I said, maybe somebody will get to them. I'm not giving benefit of the doubt. I'm assuming they're going to fuck it up. But well, I said, I maybe my whole get thing to them. is they basically positioned signing on to the letter as an as something to do if, to feel good, and I guess that's where I'm calling I'm calling them on the carpet. And, and I'll give you that. There's no give money. Here's an org. Here's a local thing. Here's that. None of that at all. And those resources are fucking abundant. They're yeah. all over the goddamn place. Yeah. Not even a goddamn like start a book club with some articles. Here you go kind of thing. Yeah. Literally just sign on to this letter. And you you know full well that'll turn into a list. Sure, it'll turn. It probably already is a list because oh, it was definitely a list because when you go to sign up for it, it's just a form. It's a Google form. And the go. article that I read from the person that wrote it signed on to it. So she got paid to write that article anyways. 
You know, these are the things that I'm talking about. Yeah. Follow follow the money, I guess. Anyways. Uh, you have to play Fucking this. Fucking white people. You have to play this next piece. Oh, of yeah. Audio. Hold up. Let me find it real quick. I got to add it to my, my cue. Uh, you know, we're not quite. Uh, we're in the pipe. Five by five. Yeah, three by four. Three by four? Yeah, we're getting we're close, huh? <laughs> it's definitely a little rusty. You're feeling better. Get with the bubba bubba buzz. That song is so great. Anyways, so the first we have quite a few in this. I saw like this is like the longest pest control segment we've ever done, but it was too many great uh, stories to, to... Yeah, and I'll just interject, not even on here is a segment on our local news showing a black oh, yeah, bear, bear at our, our mall. In our mall here. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even put that one up here. Okay, so this one is um, feral peacocks attack cars in British Columbia. Are peacocks not supposed to be feral? Are they normally feral, aren't they? I don't know. Are, Are they, they zoo-only animals or something? I'm not 100%. I thought, I mean, I guess they must exist somewhere. Well, feral certainly means that they weren't intended to be. the country now. Surrey, British Columbia, where neighbors are at their wits' end over some local troublemakers. <laughs> they're noisy. They are messy. Well, they're just plain foul. Mira Baines has the story. <laughs> <laughs> Peacocks are admired for their good looks and stunning plumage, but some Surrey residents have had enough of their bad behavior. No, one of them's outside this window, this bedroom window. Exotic birds have made Sullivan Heights their home. (laughs) Anytime they're disturbed, they start screaming. And it sounds a lot like a crying baby. I've gone into my kids' room thinking that they're crying at night, and it turns out to be a peacock. The wily birds are rumored to have come from a Yo, rural property in the area a decade ago and are now overrunning it. They look gully. I can't send the kids out in the backyard to play. <laughs> My kids never play in our backyard because our patio is full of poop. <laughs> he says other municipalities classify peafowl as livestock and they aren't allowed to wander or they're taken away. Their perpetual pecking and distinctive hooting in the early morning hours drove one neighbor to take drastic measures. He cut down this old healthy tree without a permit because it was used by the birds to roost. TJ Shergill says he doesn't blame the homeowner for cutting down the tree. My neighbors, they I heard sometime they had uh, scratches on their cars. Uh, two years ago, I remember one bird attack on my daughter and my neighbor's uh, kid as well. The move prompted Surrey's bylaw department to issue a $1,000 fine against the homeowner. The contractor and homeowner could also be facing additional fines of up to $10,000. We're going to continue with our investigation, looking into further legal actions and fines uh, against Why? Uh, the Why? Because there was a home to these things? The these yeah. Are they endangered? Ray Hall no, says the peacocks fall outside the scope of Surrey animal control. This is why. He says 10 years ago, the city tried Listen. unsuccessfully to remove the birds. <laughs> and I think it was 2010 this was tried before and it did not end up so well. Uh, the contractor was chased out of the area. Um, so that contractor is still, uh, <laughs> that's still fresh in his mind. It's not something that he's prepared to do at this time. 
Rahal says the city plans to hold community meetings to educate residents on how best to deal with the birds. Yo, let me tell you something. They're just going to keep multiplying. These fucking peacocks. You, if you see these pictures, I'm, I'm going to put the link in the show notes per usual. You have to look at this actual video because these peacocks are in all these people's backyards, outside their windows, on second story, like on the roofs, just staring at them. They don't give a fuck. Wow. Gully. Well, and like... I guess it depends on what the fine would be, but I just, I don't say I shoot a bunch. Of this Listen, terrible. I don't, what did they say? 150? Good luck. There's 150 That's what they said. Wow. I'm looking <laughs> at the video now. Wait, this one's on a roof. I'm telling you, y'all. He's these, on a fucking roof. These things fly? Yeah. They fly? They jump or something. I don't know. He, anyway. No, he's on like a second story roof, like yeah. fucking around somebody's window. Yeah, man. These, these things is crazy. Dang. And they shit a lot. That's a lot of, that's a lot of, that's bigger than goose poop, man. Mm-hmm. And it's everywhere. All right. Yeah. That's, that's a big tree. Cut down, but fuck it. Listen. And they're gorgeous. But so someone had them on a farm and just like abandoned them. And now they're yeah. like, but Sweet. abandoned like 20 of them. And now it's like 150. 150 of them or whatever. You got to start like, I don't say killing them, but you got to do something. I don't know to what you're going to do, things, man. That's crazy. So, uh, Florida. Oh, Florida. Out of control iguanas are infesting South Florida. There's a video I can play mm. here. Wait, unmute it. Oh, there's an advertisement. Hold on. Can I play the whole ad? Oh, you guys suck. Sometimes you gotta like, skip it, but it's not so like one. Come on, man. I get it. What is this? Sun Sentinel? You know, this, this, uh, this piece got like some play, so they they throw an ad in front of it now. Like a you can't watch nothing until you listen to their ad. Mm-hmm. I hate those. Eh, Sun Sentinels gotta make their money. I guess. <laughs> Invasive green iguanas are multiplying like rabbits in South Florida, causing internet, phone, and power outages, damaging landscaping, oh seawalls, roofs, patios, and contaminating pools with poop. So what can be done to prevent such nuisance? Here are some mm-hmm. tips on how to easily control them yourself. Homeowners can help mitigate the problem that iguanas cause on property is by, first of all, looking for the bugs. Yo, all you need to do really is, is collapse that hole. You don't have to drop rocks, uh, uh, cement, or what have you, as long as you keep working the property. Iguanas are herbivores and love to munch on a variety of plants. There are certain plants that are, that are just known that they love to devour. Hibiscus. Bucavilla, oh, one of my favorites. Uh, annuals, impatience, orchids. Uh, there's, there's quite a bit that they, they have a large uh, appetite. Of course, they like orchids and hibiscus. And use screens and cages to keep them from devouring landscaping and gardens. Keep trees and bushes trimmed. It's and like a pack of them. It's like ten or twelve. professionals to have them removed. They tend to crawl within the barrel um, on the barrel tile roofs that we use, and use it as a as a. Um, um, you know, as shelter, as a, as a small, short home. For more information on these tips, visit Sun Sentinel. All right. So, wow. yeah, that's a lot. It's the packs. Wow. They come out in packs. Mm-hmm. And they're they're big. They're like... They're big. They're bigger than a squirrel. Yeah, they're big. They're not sure. tiny at all. So this next app, this next They're story, causing internet outages, though. I just think that's funny. just hilarious. Um, I wanted to talk about this because the, the headline came by and I just thought I wanted to talk about it, which is a rescue chicken. Learning to walk again with therapy wheelchair. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Really? According to Smith, Rue broke his beak in two places. 
bloodied his comb, did damage to his head, and has swelling on the brain. A rescue chicken named Rue is learning to walk again with a therapy wheelchair. A few weeks ago during the fires, we took in another rooster that was evacuated. The rooster was kept in a separate cage, and the chicken got intimidated by him because he was very big, so he tried to fight that rooster through the cage. What? So, uh, yeah, Rue had all those all that damage done to him. He wasn't able to sit upright, eat, drink, or even crow until he got a special chicken wheelchair oh from god. Australia. Now, this is the whitest shit ever. You going, oh my god, about this rescue chicken? Let me keep going. Here. This kid's a wheelchair. They gave him a wheelchair. Come on. <laughs> He's able to move around in it, sit upright, and he eats a ton. He's been eating a lot of food, drinking a lot of water, and it's made all the difference. Uh, Smith posted about what, hap- about what happened to Rue on Facebook on her other chickens page, Funky Chicken. She has another chicken page. A person saw it and paid to expedite the wheelchair, which came last week. In addition to the chair, Smith's 12-year-old daughter, Jessamine, is her is the, the chicken's <laughs> physical therapist. Um, and uh, so they're hoping that uh, they won't, the chicken won't be in his life for the rest who, of his life. Who fucked this chicken up? How the chicken did. It, it literally oh, it started yeah, fighting fight. through a cage. <laughs> Damn. A chicken wheelchair, though. I'm just saying, white people will get expedited a fucking uh, wheelchair uh, that Seinfeld from Australia. The, had to get the tiny tools from Norway to work it's on amazing. the squirrel. Amazing. Amazing. This is another one of those ones where I saw the headline. I was like, dude, this cow deserves <laughs> to be talked about. Yeah. Cow escapes on the way to the slaughterhouse, smashes through a metal fence, breaks the arm of man trying to catch her, then swims to safety on an abandoned island in the lake. Go ahead. And is living up a sweet life. Mm-hmm. A cow has been living alone on an island, attacking anyone who comes near. <laughs> after staging a miraculous escape on its way to the slaughterhouse, the animal made its bid for safety last month after it refused to get into a lorry, taking it to be killed for meat. Instead, it rammed a metal fence for making a dash for the nearby Lake Nysa in South Poland. Woke-ass cow. After the cow's owner, known only as Mr. Lucas, attempted to get it back to the farm, the cow broke one of his workers' arms, according to the Polish News. So in, uh, it then entered the water and swam to one of the islands in the middle of the lake. Mr. Go Lucas ahead. said he even saw it dive underwater on its way. Yes. Taking deep breaths. Go After ahead. After of trying. This fucking cow learned how to dive, y'all, to get to safety. Yo. Freedom. I'm, I stand listen, with the cow. Listen to this. After a week of trying and failing to get the cow back from the island, Mr. Lucas has given up and has begun making sure it simply has enough food to stay alive instead. He's got that feed yeah, this Yeah, Lucas, I, feed this fucking yes. cow. Yes. With your bitch ass. Because oh, you don't want to have to go and try and get a big ass cow body from that island. Listen, you listen. You couldn't even get it. Listen, local firefighters used a boat to get to the island. The cow swam 50 meters to a neighboring peninsula. <laughs> <laughs> the cow was like, fuck <laughs> you. Fuck you, motherfuckers. I'm out. Deputy commander of the fire Woke brigade said the cow. animal was frightened but healthy. Vet called in to tranquilize the animal, told me it was he had run out of gas cartridges and then it wouldn't, it would take several days to get new ones. Just mm-hmm. keep feeding. Despite the farmer having it shot dead, a political leader in the town of, of Nice Golden has reportedly said the cow will live out its life in peace. Politician and former singer Powell Kukas raised the animal's plight on a Facebook post when she offered to pay for the hero cow to be saved from death. She escaped heroically and infiltrated the island in the middle of the lake where it remains today, according to Polish News Magazine. She did not succumb to firefighters who wanted to transport her by boat, and she was still on the battlefield. 
I am not a vegetarian, but fortitude and the will to fight for this cow's life is invaluable. Therefore, I decided to do everything to the cause the cow to be delivered to a safe place and in a second stage as a reward for her attitude, give her a guarantee of a long-term retirement and natural death. Oh, Lucas. Well, then. Just like with the, the chicken, cows. You know, someone else tweeted that. I don't know who it was, but they're smarter than me about the we didn't talk about the Thai kids, the soccer team in this cave. And they said that everyone's all captivated. There's all this news, all this coverage about uh, 12 boys and a coach in a cave. But later, earlier this week in Thailand, a fairy capsized and killed like a hundred and something people, but it was barely a blip on the radar. Just sort of like what gets attention, what doesn't. The awe factor of kids kind of thing. Wow. Baby Jessica in a cave kind of yeah. deal. A cow, a chicken. Oh, oh, but fuck black people. Anyways, um, moving on. Well, we don't spend a lifetime with anti-dog and anti-cow and no, anti- to the, con- to the contrary. Anti-pet. To the contrary. You know, we're not, we don't go out of our way to, 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 to remove the humanity of our pets. Exact so we've opposite. been, we watched uh, two new shows since we were last on. The first is Cloak and Dagger, which we just binged the first, I think probably third or half of the season. About six episodes, um, yeah. Which I'm really liking. It's on Freeform, which you didn't even know was a channel. It used to be I, well, listen, AMC Family. I, I was like, what You're the like, fuck what the is fuck this? Is Freeform? But if you tell me ABC Family, I'm like, yeah. ah, I get ABC Family. It used to be ABC Family, but it's not I don't called know why Freeform. Because it? it's not family anymore? Because they're trying to appeal to Gen Z or whatever that new generation okay. is. I don't know what it's what called is. whatever it is after whoever's after the millennials that's who they're trying to get to um which is like three after me so whatever uh cloak and dagger it's a marvel show really enjoying it i've been liking the way they've been introducing things their way they've been using dark and light in unusual ways because i was kind of concerned about the like stereotypes of that they already got straight to the the main character is a black um teenager uh male teenager and a white girl and um they already got to the like privilege confrontation because one of them has more uh economic privilege than the other and they try to use they try to throw that in the other person's face and it's really i thought that scene was really good yeah they got um, to that kind of got me hooked so i definitely hi- highly recommend that one we have it on season pass now so we can watch it in real time when it comes on and the second thing i wanted to just talk about is is about pose on fx and i don't i mean i know you're not watching it as avidly as i am but i have i have I don't have enough good things to say about the show. I haven't been saying much. I've just been really lifting up the voices of um, trans folks that have been commentating on it, reviewing it, talking about it. But it is an amazing show um, that that is also, um, you know, a love letter and um, a real honest portrayal of a community of trans folks in New York City in the 80s. And, and the thing about it is, a few things. Well, one is that it's, uh, you know, produced by, in part by Janet Ma. Janet's one of the writers on the show. They have an all trans cast. Um, and it's, it's, it's just really, I've never seen anything like it. So I'll just, just, there's that part of it. Um, Janet actually was the first, um, trans woman of color to direct a episode of network television. And, um, she directed the most recent episode. It's best in my opinion thus far. Um, but in, independent of all that, it's been really like eye-opening for myself. When I first started watching, I have I was so afraid for all the characters constantly. And that's not to say I still am not because, um, you know, the realities of life for trans folks um, in, in this country are 
depressing at best and 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 deplorable um is not even the least of it um but i i think that those realities have have allowed cis folks like myself to distort our view of trans folks into only seeing them through trauma through trial through um pain and suffering and i think it's to me it's a form of transphobia that i've had to confront in myself which was why am i why am i so surprised when something good happens to these characters what is that um, and it's really about me kind of in my mind having normalized, um, the trans experience as a negative, uh, as a solely negative one. Let me, let me, as a solely negative one. And so the, the show has really allowed me to confront those, um, those, those things that live inside myself that are unjust and incorrect and not right. And so for me, it's been a really eye opening um, experience and has really challenged me. I've been having a lot more conversations with my especially black cis girlfriends about, um, you know, why do we only choose to share negative stories about when a trans woman is killed? Why are we not doing more to to lift up their voices when it's not in pain and suffering not to say to stop those things but we have to um acknowledge the full humanity of our trans siblings if we really want to be true allies to them um and accomplices and so that's kind of one of my takeaways from the show and i really highly recommend it my headphones just went out or something just happened to them literally one half of my headphones just went out is that normal Yeah, I don't think so. That's irritating. Um, Sorry about that. I'm just going to pull it off my ear for now. Uh, And so I just wanted to mention that definitely folks should definitely check it out. It's so, so, so good. Maybe it's my... my, um, The battery flashing? No, it's not flashing. I think it broke. The headphones broke? Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll finish this shortly and I'll take a look at it. Um, anyways, so that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to talk about TV wise is this article I'm putting the notes in, which is that Candace Patton, who plays Iris West on, uh, The Flash and Ashley Murray, who plays Josie on Riverdale, as in Josie and the Pussycats, really came out and had some frank discussions about the racism that they face both online and in the fandoms of their pers- respective, um, you know, what do you call those? fandoms i guess like the flash dc and and josie and the pussycats and riverdale and it's very much because you know their characters were quote-unquote initially written as white and they've been cast as black women on these shows Mm. and i just it, it, it put me in mind of like you think about an actress who spent their career working so hard to hone their craft to get in front of the right people to get an agent to get a manager to to get cast to even get a shot to be cast in a show like this, a network television show, and to get the opportunity, get cast as this amazing, you know, character that's going to be clearly a, a prominent central theme and character on a show like this. And there's that black tax that still comes in. You know, Grant Gustin didn't have to answer for this stuff when he got cast as a Flash or that non-redheaded dude that they dyed his hair to be Archie. No, they just got cast and it was like, oh, here's some new, here's a new person to be interested in. But Candace and Ashley had to also deal with this additional baggage of having to navigate what people are going to say and how you're going to talk to people about this. Let's, let's so, talk about Lethal Weapon, the TV show, man. Oh, gosh. 
that, that dude was a fucking white ass nobody, and he got to push Wayans around. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, well, I'm I'm glad uh, that Pose has been good, and I'm glad that that you're liking it, and it's 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 uh, sounds like resonating and lifting up. Uh, trans folks stories in a positive way, which I'm, I'm glad for. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Murphy hasn't always hit the mark. Um, and I'm sorry to hear that that sucks that they're, they're suffering through some shit. It made me think of the, and I can't remember the actress name, forgive me, that had to leave social media from Star Wars. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause the, you know, fanboys were just being so fucking racist to her. Yeah. So horrible. She's like, no. Kelly Marie Tran. Yeah. That played Rose. Kelly Tran. Yeah. I'm out. Mm -hmm. Just like I'm off social media. I can't, I can't fucking do it. Yeah. Because apparently they wanted a white person. I don't fucking know. Yeah, you know, it's just getting ridiculous uh, with all of that stuff. So I forced you to watch oh, Justice so League much. this God. weekend because we I got to decide everything. It, it was literally like we should have made a drinking game out of every time one of us said this was so bad. It would have been hammered if we made a drinking game out of every time we said like how bad this was. It was so <laughs> bad. It's been out enough and it's on HBO now. So I'm not like worried about like spoiler alert, this or that. It was fucking incohesive. It like 40 minutes in, we're like getting these motherfuckers together to form the fucking thing. And then another whatever to get. It just was terrible. I, I was so, and Ben Hooflack, he flack is so disappointing in every way. But as Batman, his costume looked like it was made out of rubber. His acting is fucking terrible. Like, he just juts his chin out, and they do that same modulated voice horse shit. Come on, man. It was bad. I hated every minute of it. Mm-hmm. The plot was just meandering. I just... Pass. Pass. Just think uh, We also, as I mentioned, for my birthday, we had a double header. We did a Purge Marathon. We watched all the Purge movies that were not in theaters and then went to see the most recent one, the first Purge. I have to say, I have I have not encountered, especially a horror franchise. I guess it's kind of horror. Yeah, I think it's horror. Um, that got better as it went along. I'm, I'm literally like taken aback by the strides. I guess maybe it dipped down a little. Two was a little bit of a dip because it was very like first person video game-ish but well, three two got better then four got like. better i thought it was it, it was really good i mean I from the more. standpoint that one was an individual and a family two certainly expanded on that you know but no i thought i liked the third one as well uh election and i thought the fourth and i also thought that they dealt with race pretty you know they didn't dance around it you know like there was things that were racialized and very clearly racialized but yeah, and so uh, what was the other one? Ant Man and the Wasp. Ant Man and the Wasp. So we we went to the double headers. We got to get our little fancy Marvel that was, that was coin. Fun. And I hadn't seen Ant Man in a while. Yeah, it was a bit. It was bit. good. So that movie was funny, and I really liked Ant Man and the Wasp. I'm not going to say too much about it because I'm sure people haven't seen it yet or whatever. I don't want to ruin anything. But anyways, I'll just leave that there. I like it. it was but good. I liked it very much. And uh, I'll say this: stay for there's two post uh, credit type. Easter egg oh deals. yeah make sure you stay make for sure both. you stay for both yeah for sure yeah um uh, then we started watching a show fleabag on yeah amazon prime that i think we've been liking thus far and we also finished luke cage which hmm oh, we also watched uh damn it glow oh yeah we did watch glow that was good that was also on um no spelling that right it's g oh there's dots in there it's an oh, acronym I um gotcha. Not a word. Uh, 
So, yeah, Glow was real. I actually liked Glow this season. I thought it was really good. Uh, they've developed the characters to the point that they're like heartwarming. They've got enough backstory where you kind of like enjoy them. In particular, Ruth and uh, I forget the guy that's the, the director dude, but it was good. I liked it. They had a couple of interesting B plots throughout. It was, oh, it was yeah. good. It was a good season. I enjoyed it. And Luke Cage, I, I, I liked it. Those Jamaican accents were crummy in the beginning, but they got better throughout. Um, and I thought it was pretty good. Alfie Woodard did, I thought, an excellent job. Alfie Woodard, this was definitely a, a role of a lifetime. Good, good villain. And, uh, it had enough Luke Cage-ness that I wasn't disappointed. And I thought, uh, the main character dude, he could, he did great in his fight scenes. Uh, what's his name? Bushmaster. So I thought Bushmaster did great with fights, even though his accent was troublesome at some points. Mm-hmm. But I like Luke Cage. You didn't like it? It was okay. I don't know. I think you it's didn't like Luke Cage the first time either. I didn't. I said I just think it's a weak, you know, whatever. It's not their strongest. I'm looking forward to the what do they form? Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, oh, Heroes and, for Hire. They haven't said yeah. they're doing it. I was just telling you about the the um the comic, comic books. Okay, yeah. well, I, I, hope I do don't that. know. They mentioned those words in the show, so that leads me to think that they're going to go with that storyline. Yeah, but I got gotcha. you. Um, you know, said about Tremors. I'm still like heartbroken that the Tremors TV yeah. series. Yeah, I saw a few clips from it. It looked so good. It's fucking like Kevin Bacon, man. Mm-hmm. It had bacon, 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 bacon. Mm. Um, I, I'm not going to share this whole Vice article, but it was really funny because I was at GA and, uh, one of the musicians had on a Sylvester shirt and, uh, my assistant who was with me didn't know who the person was on the shirt. And I, I literally young. was She's like, young. yeah, whatever. I was taken aback. I was like, you don't know who Sylvester is. Like, I don't even know what to say. Um, because the influence of Sylvester is just, huge mungus and the Book of Mormon returns um, to Charlotte. Yes, I just was kind of surprised by that. So I'm going to share this article uh people can engage with Sylvester as they may wish if they want to. This is Sylvester. He also sings you make me feel. Yeah, like that's my heart to real. Like the hugest disco song. Yeah. So many of them. Yeah, multiple. Um, so yeah, but the last thing I wanted to do, did you have something else to say? Nah. You sure? <laughs> I said that. Stuff to say? Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to give. I'm glad to be podcasting with you. I know man. you are. I want to give a shout out to a podcast that I've been listening to, um, called The Nod, which I really like. And a second one that I started listening to called In the Dark. Um, which has a second season just premiered. So in the dark, um, started out talking about the abduction of a boy named Jacob Wetterling in in Minnesota. Um, and so it's kind of a true crime, but there was a big, um, literally that they start the first episode is like, so this was supposed to come out next week, but this huge thing happened in the case. So we're putting it out now kind of thing. Um, I won't spoil anything, but it's very interesting to listen to. Um, and also reinforces my general uh, thing I talk about all the time about how police work is completely ineffective. And uh, really, they only spend about 10% of their time actually preventing anything from happening. But whatever. Um, 
listen to that. So that's In the Dark. And The Knot is a great um, show as well for folks to check out if you're looking for some other podcasts to listen to. Is and The Knot a reference to The Knot Black people give each other? It is. And it's kind of about <laughs> these little like cultural things like that. It's really good. Uh, if you're looking to try one of the episodes, they have one um, about jumping the broom. That's really, really good. So check that out. Um, I think that's it. You know, I'll, I'll declare my whiteness. Uh, I didn't know jumping the broom as a concept in black marriage until the movie came out. Until what? The movie came out. You didn't know what jumping the broom was? Yeah. I that's never, interesting. It I never comes, heard it the comes phrase. from your people, actually. I didn't know this. I never heard it. Never originally. Heard it, it's an, heard it's it referenced a, it's a, anyway. An, it's an Irish Scottish tradition. Anyways, I don't want to ruin the the episode, but definitely watch it. It's very very. Good. How's that ruin Check the episode? Because that's kind of the like thing they build up to. Yeah, but the name of the movie is Jump in the Room. No, I meant on the nod. Oh, that's like how you ruin. How did I ruin our podcast? I <laughs> said <laughs> that's a real stretch. <laughs> Fucking ruin you're ruining the podcast. Oh Mrs. Crane's beverage service, you strap hangers. So I think we'll call this episode Woke Ass Cow because I want to just give another shout out to my my brother at arms. How out about there. Cow So Woke? Cow So Woke. No, Woke Ass Cow is better. Um, and do you have anything else to add? Not really. No. I've been. I've, I'm. Oh, I do want to say if anybody is going to WakandaCon in Chicago oh, next yeah. month, I'm going to be speaking in, at WakandaCon. I have a panel that I'm doing on um, sisterhood through the lens of Wakanda. It's going to be myself, Sharonda J. Brown, Reverend Kim Hampton, and my assistant Paige Ingram. We're all going to be talking all about it. Sharonda and I started planning it today. It's going to be lit as fuck. I'm so excited about it. We really, Sharonda's. Uh, brain power especially when it comes to black panther and marvel and things like that is unparalleled but mm. we really been uh digging deep and 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 um we're even pulling some very as we said uh, earlier talked about some concrete lessons um that we can utilize and, and use as tools um to build sisterhood in in positive ways so i'm really excited about yeah. it so if you're going to be there make sure you check out our panel and come through hope to see you there um and if you're in it happened to be in indianapolis for that same weekend i will be on saturday night delivering the emancipation address at liberation weekend with don't sleep indie and i'm really excited about it it's the first keynote i've been asked to do and so i'll give a little Shout out yeah. uh, for that. I'm really excited. Um, El Hearns gave this same um, address last year. So I'm following in some a very, uh, you know, skilled footsteps. But I'm really excited to share um, a word with the people of Indianapolis and really excited that I got and invited to come. Is that Liberation Weekend? What's the name of the event? So it's called Emancipation Address and it takes place during um, Liberation Weekend there. So they have a series of events that go on. They have like a Black Business Bazaar. They have this thing called Awake on Friday night. But they this have, is their big keynote. But this is their big, address. yeah, their Emancipation Let's Address. Give a ding for that, yeah, Leslie. I'm Mac. excited for that. I'm, um, I'm glad I did. my illness didn't impact that too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I'm excited for both those things coming up next month. I'm happy to be home for a few weeks and spend a lot of time with you. Yeah, I am too. We went out to a new restaurant, got ice cream last night. Oh yeah, ice cream. Yeah. We've been we've been <laughs> doing a few things. We went to the was that the Charlotte Farmers Market. Yep. And uh We're making it happen. Yeah, we're doing stuff. You know, we didn't put it in here and I didn't even talk to you about it and it's totally like non sequitur and but like, here you go anyway. Yeah, of course, because why not keep talking? I love sure, talking to you. It's a podcast. Go That's on, what we do. Whatever. Uh <laughs> there's been people roofing and drugging individuals where? In downtown bars in Charlotte. Oh really? And then stealing their wallets and shit. Just like, just robbing them? Not just, yeah, but just that's robbing what the goal has been. Yeah, the, the goal robbing. has been robbing them. Like they'll they'll 
be drinking and all of a sudden they wake up in their car with no memory of how they got there and shit's missing. Interesting. Like four or five instances of this in downtown Charlotte, like bars and shit near that, like downtown market thing that we're hanging out in. Like one of them even happened at that thing. What? Yeah. Dang, Jerry. Charlotte. All right. I got nothing really. I just wanted to keep talking to you, but it's getting late. We can just talk offline, babe. I'm not going anywhere. I know, but I like talking to you. I, like I said, I'm not going anywhere, so <laughs> talk to me all night. All right. Good night, everybody. With your penis. <laughs> <laughs> High five. <laughs>